Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tejos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app, as this really helps more people discover the show. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another webinar by Smart Karma. I'm Valerie, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Smart Karma Insight Provider, Osbert Tang, who will be sharing his top ideas in China's trade industry. Before we start, a bit of standard housekeeping. As always, please feel free to send in your questions for our insight provider throughout the webinar using the Q&A button on your Zoom app, and we will get to them during the Q&A section. Please do not reshare the contents of this webinar without express permission. A recording will be available afterwards on the registration page and will be sent to all attendees. And with that, thank you, Osbert, for being with us today. And maybe you can give us a brief introduction of your background before we dive right into the topic for today. Okay, thank you. Thanks very much for joining this webinar. Just before we start on about our topic, I would like to provide a brief introduction by myself. And I have been with the Smart Karma platform for almost, I think, three years. I'm slightly more than three years. And I starting in March 2019. And I have been in the sales side as well as in the rating side for credit for over 20 years with basically a coverage of a wide range of Hong Kong and China companies in the industrial and utility sector. And I have also worked with a number of international sales side op- corporations, brokers like RBS, ABNM, Row, as well as Paribas. This is a very basic information about myself, and you can always find me via the Smart Karma platform. Then we will move on to the topics today. Before I go into four topics that we have, we first identify some of the key macro drivers for 2023 in China. First of all, we look at is that we all know the grand reopening of the borders of China, which that would be removal of some lockdown effect that has been clouding China's overall growth in the last couple of years. And that should be positive towards the consumption recovery. Second macro factor is that we look at the external environment. It's actually quite challenging in the sense that overseas economies will see potential recession in second half of this year. And that would actually be negative towards uh, overall external demand and maybe negative affecting China's export growth. Rebound in consumption, while we do expect there would be a good rebound, but there are still uncertainties. Why we're saying that is mostly because there is still unknown about the extent overall recovery that makes the job security as well as income growth within a major concern. And that would be limited very much in terms of the significant upside in consumption, though it is going to be found in this year. We also see that the local government has been very much alert on the already very high leverage level. Partly, we see that the land price is already coming down, and that has already affected uh, the local government's financial position. So what it means is that it is not going to see a very significant boost in terms of the local government spending in boosting the economy in this year. Though we do expect some increase, but that the extent won't be a very significant negative. We also see that the Chinese government will continue to use more flexible monetary policy that would selectively fighting more, for example, lending rate to active state SME, as well as potentially further lowering the loan prime rate. But again, we do see that because of the concern on potential upside on inflation, there will not be too aggressive loosening of the monetary policies in China. 
real estate side, we do see a bottoming out of the real estate side, but we also don't think that there will be a very significant rebound. This is primarily because that there are significant inventory being built up over the last couple of years. And as a result, demand side not really strong. So what it means is that we are going to see a more flattening in terms of the real estate market rather than we are going to see a V-shaped rebound. And lastly, the government continue to push ahead the dual carbon policy and that would still remain unchanged and that would continue to be positive towards new energy business as well as the new energy power companies. So these are the basic macro factors that we be affecting the overall economy of China in this year. We will then move on to the four stock picks that we put out in this VPT. The first one is Shenzhen International. I think Shenzhen International is, everybody knows about it, that it's more a logistic company. And then it also has exposure in expressway and through prop logistic park transformation to gain from an upside. Um, this year, we do expect that some of the drivers that will drive the companies. Our look, first of all, we think that there will be more gains from logistics. It may realize more gain from disposal of the suitable as well as matured logistic project in the next two years. Remember, in last year, it has successfully disposed about a interest in a Hongzhou asset. And that was actually providing over 500 million in terms of the exceptional gain for the company. And it is also making good, good progress in securing new logistic projects. And so that would be some upside that we are expecting in the logistics side in this year. And for Shenzhen Expressway, it is a consolidated subsidiary of Shenzhen International. This year, the resumption of Hong Kong and Shenzhen connection should boost the traffic as well as toll income. Last year, this business is affected by the lockdown. And this year, we also see that when we go into the second quarter, there will be a low base in 2022 second quarter. And so that means a more favorable compared year on year. And thirdly, we also, we also see that international last year, they pre-sold about 60,000 square meter of Shanghai phase one, phase two residential property projects. The completion of these units will take place as well as in early 2023. So that would mean that part of the gain, which estimated at about 3 billion, can potentially be booked in 2023. And we also look at this year, Shenzhen Airlines will no longer be a drag given the recovery in terms of the overall air traffic in China. The stock's valuation is actually quite cheap at just 0 0.45 times 2023 price to book. This is actually about two standard deviation below the historical average. So I think Shenzhen International is a very cheap play in overall recovery in the domestic economy, as well as the opening up of the borders of China. The second stock that we want to highlight is China Longyuan, a wind power company, which we do see that the company will see a continued positive story for this year. It has already been announced a weak 2022 earnings, which we think is a matter of in fact, it highlighted that it will see 2022 profit down by 30 to 40 percent. But this is mostly due to one-off items. This include like the impairment loss associated with replacement of smaller units of wind turbines with larger ones so that create some impairments and also impairments related to its Ukraine asset uh, due to the Russia-Ukraine war. But these factors are likely to fade in 2023. And even after such announcement of the week 2022 result, the market reaction is quite muted after the profit warning. So that suggests the focus should be on the 
uh, outlook going into this year. In fact, after stripping out the non-recurrent items, its earnings decline is just significantly lower at about 10 to 20% for next year. So you see that very much the impact is more on one-off items. We also look at the generation outlook for this year. The first set of data we have is for January, which the company's wind power generation increased by 44%. It is actually the highest monthly growth in the last two years. Note that one important issue is that we have an early Chinese New Year this year. So it means that last year it even have a higher base for comparison, but it still generate a very strong 44% growth in wind power generation. So that was actually a very positive start for this year. And we do expect that the improvement will continue to be solid going into the rest of this year, uh, partly on the back of the economic recovery, which boosts the overall full year power demand, as well as China's dual carbon strategy will continue to go on to support wind power generation. The third um, highlight that we have for China Long Yuan is that we expect company's capacity expansion story will continue. Uh, remember, its parent, CHN Energy, will inject its 21 gigawatt of new energy portfolio into Longyuan probably over the next three years. That would support a very significant growth in the company's installed capacity, and that would fuel the overall revenue and profit. One concern previously is very much on the outstanding subsidies that is going to be received from the government. But it has made good progress, and so far for the first nine months last year, it has already collected about 13 billion of the outstanding subsidy. And that has helped to improve the overall cash flow of the company. Valuation term is trading at about nine times PE and just about one time price to book. But note that the projected ROE should be around at least around 12% over the next two years. So that makes the price to book multiple well justified. And I think the earnings growth also justified a valuation of just nine times PE as well as its angle in terms of exposure to the wind power generation of China. The third stock we like is China Communication Construction. Uh, China Communication Construction, they also see a very strong contract gains in fourth quarter of last year. They managed to sign as much as like 110 billion of new contracts in the fourth quarter which is a significant 95.3% year-on-year growth. If you look at a full year, the new contract growth is about 22% and a record-breaking value of 1.5 trillion. Most of them, about roughly 50% are urban construction projects, and which I think that that would see a continued strong improvement in this year. The strong contract momentum basically means that it is able to secure very much in terms of the future growth, given the number of orders, the value of orders on hand. In the 2023, as we mentioned earlier, we will see that economy of China will still be likely to see export weaker, given high base in the last two years, as well as economic weakness potentially in developed economies. And at the same time, domestic consumption remains relatively uncertain in terms of the degree of recovery. So what it means is that combined, the most able of the government, the most controllable or manageable tool to improve the economy is through fixed asset investment. And that very much go to infrastructure. So that would mean that we do expect that more projects will be granted and more spendings will be on infrastructure in 2023, that would be 
basically reflecting in potentially higher special purpose bond issuance for this year. If we look at the bond quota for 2023, that about 2.2 trillion of such bond quota has been brought forward to late 2022. So what it means is that the bonds issued in late 2022 will start to be invested in the first half of this year. And that would translate into continue solid new contract to be granted by local government. And we think China communication construction is in a very excellent position to gain from this increase in new contract and increase in new spending. As for full year 2023, the expectation is that the new special purpose bond issue will increase to about 3.8 to 4 billion. Um, that is roughly about 4 to 10% growth over about 3.65 billion in 2022. So overall, although it is not going to see a very significant growth, it will still be a very healthy growth in terms of the bond proceeds in this year. And that should help China communication construction to secure more projects in terms of the new contract signed in this year. In the same time, we do also see that overseas infrastructure investment to improve, and that would also boost the companies from overseas. Particularly, we see that last year has been a weak year for China communication construction in securing overseas contracts. So this year, China communication construction will also have a low base for comparison in terms of overseas. If you look at the order book, we estimate that at the end of 2022, the company's backlog is around 3.6 trillion. What it means is that that will equal to about five times the 2022 revenue. That means that in the terms of the overall earnings potential, it has already been well secured. While it has been getting more and more urban construction contracts, which normally carries a lower gross margin. But the good thing about urban construction contracts is that they have a relatively short turnaround time. So that would allow the company to improve its cash flow. And at the same time, they, they have they're carrying a lower gross margin, but that should be also offset by reduction in input costs. Like last year, we do have a higher material cost and that eat into the company's margin. But this year, we think, we think that the pressure on input costs and raw material should see a year-on-year -year reduction. Um, it's still trading on very undemanding multiple, although it has a relatively good performance in this year in terms of its share price. It's just trading on about two times PE, and even on price to book, it's just 0 0.2 times. So uh, we do think that it's still of a very value for money for China communication construction. The last stock that we want to highlight is OOI. OOI, this time, actually, we are bearish on this name. And we think that even after the sharp decline in share price over the last 12 months, it is still not too late to be bearish about OOIL. As a container shipping company, it has exposure to very much in terms of the export momentum, as well as the oversupply situation of container ships. If we look at the freight rate performance, it has a sharp plunge in the fourth quarter of 2022, based on its reported freight rate. It has come down by as much as like 37% Q1Q, and that makes it return to the second quarter 2021 level. If you look at the route performance, the Trans-Pacific rate is still about 12% higher than the second quarter 2021 level. The Asia-Europe rate 
has already dipped about 16% below. So what it means is that in terms of the different routes, the more sport-related Asia-Europe routes has already seen weaker feed rate, and that would be negative towards this year in terms of performance. More importantly, uh, the reported feed rate of OIL is a lacking indicator. And more important is to focus on the spot freight rate. And spot freight rate now has already plummeted back to the end early 2020 level. If we measure it by what we call as the Shanghai Containerized Freight Index, that would actually be the first time since early 2020 that it dipped back to below 1,000 points, which is now staying at about 990 something. So that shows that clearly the freight rates are coming back to the pre-crisis level or pre-pandemic. Secondly, as we highlight that the demand side remains quite challenging. Export picture in 2023 looks not so interesting. After two years of high growth, this year we actually expect that the export may be a negative GDP contributor versus an important GDP positive contributor in last two years. In fact, if you look at the October 2022 figure, November, as well as December figures, China's export has recorded three consecutive monthly year-on-year decline already. Uh, if you look at also the OOIL's low factor, in the last two quarters, they contracted year-on-year by roughly about two percentage points in the last two quarters. So clearly, point to the things that is that overall demand side is challenging, and also we are seeing more supply-side pressure coming out as bigger container ships are delivered or going into the next 12 to 24 months. And lastly, I think the bull camp very much is looking at OIL has high dividend yield. If you're based on current consensus forecast, the dividend yield is at roughly about 15% to 12%. Well, they are high, but we think that they are not secure. Uh, it is because that there are downside risks coming from potential earnings downgrade, which we think that the current earnings projection for the, by the market is still high for 2023 and 2024. And if we compare the 2020 earnings, it is actually much lower than what we have in terms of the market projection now. But spot rate has already gone back to 2020 level. And at the same time, with the retreat in earnings, whether the company will continue to maintain its 70% payout ratio is still be a question. So a cutback in the payout ratio in terms of the downturn of the cycle that will make the dividend yield not as high as projected by the market. So these are potential downside risks for the dividend yield. And that said, uh, we also compare the valuation for the stock. If we look at 2023, it is currently trading at 0 0.9 price, time price to book back in 2020 is just zero trading on 0 0.3. So we think that even now, there is still quite significant downside on OIL. And lastly, don't forget that it was only admitted into the Hang Seng Index in last year. And quite a lot of the stock that has been in, included in the Hang Seng Index are basically seeing their performance weakened after the inclusion. So this will be one of the things that also add into an interesting angle of a bearish camp for OOIL. So I think that's very much what I want to share with you today. And we will then happy to take any questions that you may have related to the stock as well as our macro factors analysis. Thank you.
Awesome. Thank you for your insightful presentation, Osman. As mentioned before, viewers, you can now send in your questions for our speaker using the Q&A button on your Zoom app. Perhaps I can start the Q&A session off with questions from the floor. So we have Mr. Mutasami, who has asked, could you comment on the attractiveness or otherwise of oil refining companies like Sinopec and PetroChina since PRC benefits so greatly from Russian oil? Well, I do have, I don't have really uh, too much focus on uh, the, the oil companies, but I think that very much the overall strength of these two companies are basically on the high oil price, as well as we're talking about the overall high dividend yield for these two companies. And But if you look at, I think the overall situation facing now is that we are still in a uncertainty in terms of the overall demand, particularly if we look at while China has been reopened, but overall, for example, we are still seeing a relatively, I think, slower than expected recovery in demand in terms of the, for example, jet fuel air traffic demand seems it is still yet to recover back to the 2019 level. So on the demand side, it seems that the momentum may not be as strong as people expected. At the same time, potential, for example, the recession in US may be a, a slight dip that would also be causing factors on the demand side. So what I see that is very much that, very much the interest if we look at potentially higher oil price as well as, for example, higher dividend yield. I think from the angle of attractiveness, I would actually prefer more like Sinop, which have a direct exposure and pure exposure to the higher oil price. So I think that it is very much in terms of the relative attractiveness, as I would actually go for Sinop rather than PetroChina or Sinopec, especially given that PetroChina and Sinopec, they have a very much a, a down operation, which would likely to be hurt by very much in terms of the higher oil price. Awesome. Thank you so much for your insights, Oswald, and thank you for your kind comments, Mr. Mutasami. We have another question that says, do you have any ideas on prospects for BYD and other EV makers in China? Well, I think generally the EV makers have seen a very good year in last year, and I think the supportive policy in terms of the direction, strategic direction, will not be changed in this year. The first gen, the January figures clearly not pointing to a great start, but look at, for example, some of the high the EV maker, the monthly as well as month on month as well as year on year sales of the down by like 30 to as much as 50%. But note that we have two things that are disrupting the sales in this year in January. First thing is that we have the mass infection of COVID because of China's rapid reopening. And that has affected the, you know, the, the, the appetite for going out in terms of just going to showroom and to buy vehicle. So this is one factor. The other factor is that we have the early Chinese New Year as well. So both factors have created an impact on the overall demand in January. But we do see that some favorable policy, for example, if you look at the China document number one, what we refer to is that is very much focusing on China's government's first document issued every year. They are very much focusing on the agricultural industry. And one thing it mentioned that is to encourage those, you know, the rural area that have the ability to afford as well as to have the suitability to promote electronic vehicle EV, actually, they would be encouraged to do more promotion into a new energy vehicle 
into this um, rural area. So that would actually be some area that we see potentially stimulating the sales in addition to what we have in last year. But definitely what we're looking at is that very much the subsidies in terms of the preferential treatment has already removed in this year. So that would have a, some of the pressure. But overall, we do expect that all demand in this year will continue to improve and that roughly reflecting on the China's decarbonization policy that the company have a very much, I think BYD as well as, for example, some other company, including like Great Water, as well as Guangzhou Auto. These are actually more important players that we can look into benefit from the EV cycle. Awesome. Thank you so much, Osbert. And we move on to our next question. Can you kindly give your outlook for the semiconductor sector, especially the foundries like SMIC and Huahong? Well, I do not actually have very much in-depth analysis on both companies, but I think generally we do see that the semiconductor sector is going to be long-term still very much in terms of the positive development, very much because that given the increase in tension between China and US, and what it means is that I think China has always been putting in more effort as well as encouraging more self-sufficiency in terms of semiconductor supply. So in that case, we do see that more resources will be put on to research and development of semiconductor in China. And that would actually be positive towards the overall development going into future. Huahong, I believe that it has already put out a quite in terms of the performance in terms of the results in last year whereas SMIC looked to be less encouraging. But overall, we are positive towards the, the, the outlook for these two. Given my, you know, don't have too much deep analysis in those com- these two companies, so I think that's all the best that I can offer in terms of my opinion. Thank you so much, Oswald. And we move on to our next question. The debt levels at Shenzhen International and Longyuan have gone up a lot. Can they deliver? Oh, I think Shenzhen International did very much its consolidated Shenzhen Expressway, which, for example, that include the company's acquisition of, for example, like Shenzhen Bay Area Development, that's the, the Hopewell Highway. And if we deconsolidate Shenzhen Expressway from Shenzhen International, we will see that actually Shenzhen International step is not as high. And then we do see that Shenzhen International, they will have, as I mentioned earlier, improvement in terms of the logistic business that would potentially will dispose some of its matured projects. So that would be one source of the cash flow. And the other thing is that potentially it will also the pre-sale proceed again from its Shanghai phase two development. So this will basically be important cash flow going back at the Shenzhen International level, not Shenzhen Expressway level. And Shenzhen Expressway, basically, because it is more a pure infrastructure company, it is normally, you know, usually have a higher hearing, while at the same time, it has already secured loan to support its overall expansion as well as the, the acquisition. So I think that if you look at the debt level, Shenzhen International, it is somewhat marked by the high debt of its consolidated subsidiary of Shenzhen Expressway. Longyun has gone up a lot, but I think one thing we need to keep in mind is that very much Longyun, they have already established more funding channel and they have an Asia funding channel, while at the same time that last year, they all see, for example, like the profitability coming down because of the impairment. So we do expect that this year in terms of profitability, it will improve. And so that would also help to provide an enhancement towards the company's book value. And as a result, that means that the gearing should not see a too much significant increase. And so 
we do expect that that would be able to very much control the overall leverage level for them. So we're still waiting in terms of the financing details of potential injection of, for example, like the parents' asset into Long Yuan. But I think that would likely to be coming from a potential, you know, share issue directly to the parent to acquire the asset with a combination of potentially a small size of, for example, secondary market placement and debt raising. But given that it would possibly involve a new issue of share to the parent company, so that would also help the company in terms of lowering in terms of the gearing. Thank you so much for that, Osbert. And for the sake of time, let's wrap this up with a few final questions and then we're done for today. Mm-hmm. Can you please comment on the prospects of China Soft, especially its partnership with Huawei, in rolling out the latter's Harmony software? Well, that is an interesting question, but I think, unfortunately, I am not an expertise in this area. But I think, well, so far, in terms of the acceptance of Huawei, in terms of the, the its Harmony software, I think market response has been, well, from more on the ground and experience and more on the ground feedback has been quite good, I think. So uh, in the sense of this market acceptance, I think, well, actually my two kids are using Huawei phones and they are happy with the Harmony software. So I think that should be some positive, you know, reaction towards ChinaSoft. But I think this is the best that I can offer in terms of my build based on my understanding as well as on ground test, test but I think uh, experience and, uh, and, and uh, on ground check, I would say that. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll wrap this up with the last two questions and we're done. So, Osbert, prospects for Sani or Zoom Lion? Okay. Do you have any thoughts uh, on that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I do cover the construction machinery companies, which I think Sani or including Longking as well. I think the overall prospect is positive, given that very much we do see more infrastructure investment in this year. So far, I think their performance has been relatively good, but it very much, if you look at the preference that I have, I'm not sure about which Sunny, because there are two Sunny. One is Sunny International in Hong Kong, and the other one is Sunny in China. But what we see is that for Sunny, we do have a preference over Streamline, because Sunny, they have a more well-rounded portfolio of product, particularly focusing on you know, the mining side, as well as they are having, for example, the port machinery, which see very strong growth going into us. And at the same time, they have a very secure order book. Um, oh, Osbert, the, yeah. the, the person who asked the question has clarified, and he says that it's Sunny in Hong Kong. That's what was he was referring to. No, Sunny one is Hong Kong, is the Sunny International. The stock is, I think, 631. Mm-hmm. And the other one is actually the Asia listed company, not in Hong Kong. And the Asia is basically a sister company of Sunny Hong Kong. They are not of a shareholder or vestee relationship. They are both under the same umbrella of Sunny Group. So that was the difference. One is in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. one is in the Asia market. And I think to conclude very much in terms of the Sunny International's investment thesis, it is very much that it is also expanding into the like the, the, the intelligent robot industry, which I think that was one area that we see a very strong growth in terms of its order book. It has been, I think, share price quite resilient, but I think in terms of the growth prospect, still more interesting when compared with a, a Zoom Lion, which I think Zoom Lion, one of the concerns is that it still have some exposure to the property market, who is, for example, concrete machine, concrete machinery, and that would be something that, that 
still potentially negatively affected by, I would say, the lukewarm property market in China. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Osbert. And we were going to round this off with the last question for today. Thank you so much for your time. Do you have any thoughts on Geely Global? Well, what I can say is that Geely is relatively more well-positioned towards the lower-tier market when compared with BYD, which I think technology-wise, I think BYD obviously has a better market share as well as the more in the tier one city. But Geely will be very much in a better position to capture the one that into the lower-tier market, which we do see that potentially growth in this year will be better than of the, for example, like tier one and tier two city. So I think in terms of the performance in, you know, operating or business performance, potentially GD is maybe in terms of the growth, maybe better than BYD in this year. That's my best speculation, I believe. Thank you so much for that, Osbert. And to close this webinar, perhaps you can share some final words you want to leave our audience with about today's topic. Well, I think overall, I would say that very much this year will be a great recovery year for China, but that was also balancing in to a, to a certain extent in terms of the challenges posed by you know the uncertainty about the U.S. Uh, interest rate and inflation. We are actually doing an interesting exercise here, looking at that potentially in the near term, that still maybe there will be seeing more pressure on the market. But overall, going into beyond, like for example, April and May, we do see that actually the focus will be on more clarity about the U.S. rate outlook as well as hopefully a softening in terms of the Sino-U.S. tension and that would be some positive backdrop for a better upturn on the China market in this year, well, including the Hang Seng Index as well as the, as the Asia market. So uh, we will be providing further updates on the stocks that we cover in this presentation today and then please watch out more for the Smart Karma platform about further new insights on this name as well as other China topics. And that's our webinar. Thank you, Osbert, for your time today. And thank you to all attendees for being with us. If you wish to keep track of more insights on the topic today, I recommend following Osbert on Smart Karma so you never miss any of his insights. Please note that Osbert is also available for bespoke research requests or premium services. So if you wish to engage him for that, please contact your Smart Karma account manager. Please email us at research at smartkarma.com for any other questions or feedback. If not, do follow us on our social media channels like LinkedIn and Twitter at Smart Karma. We share weekly ebooks to, related to the webinar, so you don't want to miss out on that. Thank you once again to Osbert and goodbye, everybody. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks. Subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss an episode, and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.